look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Hey everybody, this is Seth Davis. I'm officially announcing the launch of, you guessed it, the Seth Davis Podcast on the SI Podcast Network. It's going to be a series of long-form interviews, smart conversations with interesting people. Yes, my ballywick is college hoops, but I plan to interview people from all across the sporting spectrum. So we're going to learn a lot, but mostly we're going to have some fun on the Seth Davis Podcast. Talk to you soon, everybody. Look for new episodes every Tuesday, and remember to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hello, I'm Peter King, and welcome to the MMQB Podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, Carolina Panthers head coach Ron Rivera and NFL Executive Vice President of Media, Brian Rolap, to talk about the ratings decline. I asked Rivera what keeps him sane after losses like the 20-17 killer against Kansas City in Week 10. I'm very fortunate. My wife coached collegiately and professionally women's basketball, and she'll drag certain things out of me. She gets it, and that's one of the really beautiful things about you know our relationship is that she's been there she understands and she can get in these conversations with me and really help me to get past certain things. Those conversations and some emotion about Tony Romo's abdication of his throne in Dallas after this. Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you'll ever wear. All of their products are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. They want you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they'll still refund you. No questions asked. Not only does Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well, too. It's good for working out, going to work, going out on dates, everyday life. So go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using the promo code MMQB. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King, I'm here in Charlotte, North Carolina, inside Bank of America Stadium with defending NFC champion head coach Ron Rivera of the Carolina Panthers. Ron, a very, very big game this week. Obviously, as we sit here and tape this conversation on Tuesday afternoon, two days before you guys play the Saints in a game that it's safe to say is probably going to tell the tale of at least one of your seasons. The Saints uh, sitting there at four and five, you at three and six, obviously unexpectedly. And what I really wanted to focus on was the difficulty of the short week. And just from your perspective, I'm curious, when you look at what you have to do in a short week that's different from what you do in a regular week, when you go from Sunday to Thursday versus Sunday to Sunday, encapsulate that for me. Well, probably the biggest thing, you know, as coaches that we have to do is we have to prepare an entire week's game plan, what amounts to really two days, you know, and for the most part, what will happen is you'll play on Sunday. You'll take a break. You'll go have dinner with your family. You'll be with your family. And then you'll do some sort of tape work, whether it's watching the game you just previously played or watching the game that your opponent just played and breaking it down one way or the other. Um, and then first thing in the morning, you get in there as early as you're, you know, you're capable of. You get in at 4.30 and you start working on, on, on tape. You start writing notes down. Coordinators come in, same thing. You know, they're making their notes. They're, they're, they're highlighting certain things. Uh, position coaches will start on what they traditionally do on either whether it be a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday. They're putting all that stuff together in, in the next what amounts to about six hours. 
And then what we'll do is once we get that, we'll get together. We'll talk. Are the players off on Monday or are they no, in here? they come in. But they don't come in until 2 in the afternoon because that gives the coaches an opportunity to start their game planning process, start putting together the, the what typically is your Wednesday practice. They start putting that together. So the players, uh, excuse me, the coaches will have all that ready to go, and then we'll do the introductory meeting at 2 o'clock. Then we bring the players in. We introduce the opponent. We talk about the Saints. We talk about special teams, offense, defense. Each of the coordinators will go through the specific basic game plan that they're going to use basically on their first or second down stuff, whether it's base or nickel personnel for offense or defense. Uh, special teams coach will talk about uh, kickoff and, uh, and, and punt. And then what will happen is we'll go out and we'll do an installation period, but we'll do it as a walkthrough pace. So we'll give our guys an opportunity to see what we want to do, do a little bit of that, but at a very toned-down pace. Um, then once we finish with the players, you know, we send them home and we go right to work, finish up what had typically been your Thursday and Friday practices and present that today, which is Tuesday, obviously. And so these guys will see a combination of what we consider our Thursday and Friday practices. Okay, but is there any – when your coaches are around like on Saturday mm-hmm. – are they putting some of the the initial game plan stuff together on Saturday during the day? Yes. Are they in here doing that? Yes. What they'll do is, is for the most part, is um, once we finish with the walkthrough on Saturday, a lot of them will stay, and they'll just basically do their basic drawings. They'll do their basic um, film breakdown. Me, having started from the bottom, worked my way up to the top, I was a quality control coach. And what I always did was you always break three games down in advance. So – what was happening is we could be playing somebody on Sunday. I've already got three tapes broke down on our next opponent. And then as soon as that game finishes on Sunday night, that tape will be broken down, put into the computers, and all the cut-ups will be made and be ready for the coaches when they come in first thing in the morning. And so that's how you try to stay ahead as far as giving the coaches an opportunity that when they get in, the only thing they really have to watch is the previous game that was just played. All that other tape is ready to go. All that other tape's been cut up. Everything's already been added. So that speeds up the process for the coaches. Okay, so what is Saturday like then? Is Saturday an organized day inside your office? Yes, for the most part it is. And, and again, the coaches will work specifically on what they have to do to prepare themselves for Thursday. And, again, when I was a position coach uh, or a coordinator, I always specifically prepared what would be my normal Monday presentation, Tuesday presentation to the coaches when I was a coordinator, and then I would prepare my beginning of Wednesday for the players. That way when I came in Monday morning, all those things were in place, hand them out to the coaches, we look at them, we talk about them, these are my thoughts, what do we think, let's look at the tape, okay, does this match up, it does, great, that's part of the game plan. And then you present that to the players on Monday afternoon. Anybody have you used over your years as a head coach now, anybody you've used as a resource to get ready for the short week or because you've been a coach for so long you've seen it? I've seen it now. I mean, um, a lot of things that I did I, I, when I was with Norv and Lovey when I was a coordinator, you know, I always would come in on Sunday after we played and prepare, like I said, for the next morning meeting. That way when I got there I had everything to hand out and to give to the position coaches and we were ready to roll. Um, it takes a lot of pressure off a lot of people that, you know, when you're ahead of the, the uh, of the curve, you know, they get their information a lot quicker. They don't have to wait. And that's always one of the hardest things because I know when I was a position coach having to wait to get, you know, your handout from your coordinator. Um, so I knew that if I could stay ahead, it would help them stay ahead. This is the MMQB Podcast. Podcast. Hey, everyone, listen up. You don't want to miss this. Make sure you remember these four letters. MMQB. With the holidays almost here, you don't have time to go to the post office, especially with all that traffic and trying to find parking. It'll be packed with everyone mailing holiday gifts and packages. So do what I do. Use Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can avoid all the hassle of going to the post office during the busy holiday season. Everything you would do at the post office, you can do right from your desk with Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. So now you can get postage whenever you need it, 24-7. Now here's the part I told you to remember. Right now for my listeners, sign up for Stamps.com and use my promo code MMQB for this special offer a four-week trial, 
plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. Don't wait. Within minutes, you'll be printing postage right from your desk. Go to Stamps.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in those four great letters, MMQB. Don't forget the microphone at the top of the screen. That's Stamps.com. Then enter MMQB. With Ron Rivera here in Charlotte, this is the MMQB podcast with Peter King. So, Ron, you give up 17 points in the last 13 minutes of your game against the Kansas City Chiefs. That was a game that it had to have been a crushing disappointment. So you walk off the field Sunday here at Bank of America Stadium. Are you saying to yourself, man, I wish that we had a couple of days to try to get this bad taste out of our mouth? Or are you thinking, and I'm glad we're playing Thursday so we don't mope around for a couple of days about this. That was exactly the approach. You know, it was disappointing. It was a crushing blow because it was a game that, you know, we really felt we had an opportunity to win. But once I got done with my press conference, and I said it during my press conference, once, you know, once we're done here, we're going to be on to, uh, to New Orleans. And, and, and that has to be the approach. I told that to the players when I broke them down. After the, after the game, we come in, we say a prayer, give thanks. Then I get up and I talk to the players about what just happened and going forward. And I what did you say about what just happened? Well, I said, guys, it was disappointing. Well, I know, and, and you all know, that we missed an opportunity. We left it out there, but we didn't finish. And the thing that we've got to understand is when we get in those situations, we've got to do things the right way, give ourselves a chance to win. Um, and then, guys, once we're done, once we're through here, once you're done with whatever you have here and you leave, we're on to New Orleans. Okay, you're able to say that, but mm-hmm. you walk out of that room, and what's going on in your gut? Um, i got to go talk to the media. It really is because now I know I've got to rehash it. I really do want to move on. I really honestly do. But I come in and rehash it with the media and, and go through it. And, and as I'm going through it, I am thinking about what my next thought is for the players, what my next thought is going forward to, to New Orleans. Um, and then I'm, I'm very fortunate. My wife coached collegiately and professionally women's basketball. And so we get in the car, and she can tell, so she'll drag certain things out of me. What did she ask you on this day? Well, she asked me, well, what are you thinking right now as far as that game you just played? How disappointed? Is there anything else that you felt you could have done, you should have done? You know, and she does. She asked me those questions to get me to talk about it and get those things out. And then she'll help me in terms of it's really cathartic because it, it gives you a, a sense of closure. Now, I, I've sat down. I've gone through it. I, I've spewed some venom because I'm disappointed. I'm upset. But then I've, I've, you know, she's heard the venom a oh, few yeah. times she in has. her life. Yeah. She has. And she's heard the positive too, because then you start thinking about, but you know, he really played well and he did a great job. And I was really pleased with how that happened. You know, so now I'm, now she turns it on me. I, she gets it out and then she turns it on me and we start talking about the positive things that just happened and the things that we can build on. I mean, she gets it. And that's one of the really beautiful things about, you know, our relationship is that she's been there. She understands, and she can get in these conversations with me and, and really help me to, to, to get past certain things. In some ways, you need to be like, I remember a long time ago, the New York Giants had a cornerback named Mark Collins, mm-hmm. who was the defensive back on the field when, in overtime, Flipper Anderson caught a ball, a walk-off touchdown in overtime against the Giants in the playoffs, season over. The Rams go on, Giants go home. And I'll never forget going in the locker room after the game and thinking that, man, if that was me, I would have my head between my legs. I would just be on the verge of tears. You know, it'd be awful. And Mark Collins was there. I'm not saying he wasn't Mm -hmm. upset about it, but Mark Collins just said, that's the life of a cornerback. Yes. You know, you are going to make a bad coverage mistake. It could cost your team the season. If you can't take that, you shouldn't play. I'll never forget he said that that day. If you can't take it, you shouldn't play. So I wonder from your perspective, you've been in this game for so long. You've been in some emotional games, going back to your days with the Bears. How do you compartmentalize that and throw that away, whether it's great or whether it's bad, to get ready for a game like this? In all honesty, Peter, I've gone through those things, and in my mind I've walked out and I've thought, somebody loves me. I really have. Wow. And then I can move on. And, and it's interesting because, you know, expressing myself, you know, talking with my wife, talking with other coaches and just getting it out. I mean, I really do. If this was post game right now and, and this was after, you know, the, the loss to Kansas City right now, 
I, I would. I, I would really be, you know, oh, I can't believe we may, we missed this opportunity. You know, and I would. I, I would get it. I'm not going to sit there and just hold it in. I mean, that's the truth of the matter. And I do agree with what Mark is saying is that, you know, if you can't live with it, if you can't handle it, you got to be careful because it'll eat you up. It'll, it'll mess you up. Um, but to be able to, to me personally, to, to, to vent, to get it out, and then look at the positives and move on. So one other thing about this week that I find interesting, there can't be an opponent that you know any better than the Saints. You have played some of the great games of recent NFL history in terms of exciting Mm -hmm. football games, including, I guess it was week six this year, 41-38. Every time you guys play, it's like a Wild West shootout. I mean, it's so much fun. But so... Does that help in preparing, knowing that you even know the slightest mannerisms of Drew Brees? You know so much about this team. Yeah, yeah it does help. But, you know, Sean Payton's special, too, now. I mean, he's going to throw a wrinkle. There's something that, that he's going to figure out that you're not preparing for, and he's going to throw it at you. I mean, he really is, a, 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 I think he is one of, the, one of the brighter football minds right now. And, and so you as a coach, as a coordinator, you've got to prepare for what they've done, and what you think they potentially can do. And, and you have to be really, really, really sharp with it. And, and I think one of the things that you try to do, too, is you try to make sure you give your, your players a chance to play fast. Base fundamentals is about as good as it gets in a game like this when it happens. You know, I, I remember— In other words, you don't want them to be thinking, no, you know— you want yeah. them playing. Yeah. Um, I can remember talking with Dave Wanstead one year. The, the previous year, they had played a Monday night game, a Sunday night game, and a Thursday game basically three games in 10 days, and basically told me they used the same game plan all three games, and they won all three games, and all three games were on the road. Wow. They played, they played Monday night in San Diego, turned around and played Denver, I believe it was, and then they played Thursday Thanksgiving Day and won all three. And Dave said it was one of the best things we did was we basically used the same game plan. Uh, we changed a few things, but for the most part, our players played fast. Wow. With Ron Rivera, the coach of the Panthers, a couple more minutes with Ron. So, you know, I'm curious when you, this is really not the time to put your team under the microscope, but I think everybody out there really wonders, you know, 15 and one last year, three and six this year. You know, when I look at it, I think one of the things that I see, and and again, you'd have to tell me, you know what is the easiest thing in the world to say? And I'm sure the Golden State Warriors said it when they got Kevin Durant. Oh, we're going to be a lot better. Mm-hmm. You know, we got one of the best players in basketball to add to our team. Well, I look at it and I say, well, could be. But now you got to figure out who's going to give up X number of shots because mm-hmm. of him. And again, I'm, I have no idea what's going on with Kelvin Benjamin right. or, or whatever. But, but I wonder... You know, Parcells always used to say, Bill Parcells always used to say, you never pick up one year where you left off the previous year. And so I wonder when you look at it, especially offensively, you you inject a great player potentially in Mm -hmm. Kelvin Benjamin. Is that not always just perfect? I mean, do you have to make sure that everybody understands that there is going to be some sort of adjustment there? Oh, most certainly. And, and again, you know, one of the things that I do every offseason is I've been fortunate enough to develop a uh, relationship with, with Coach Madden. And John Madden and I, we talked, and that's exactly what Coach Madden told me. He says, Ron, you're not going to be able to start right from here. You've got to start back down here and work the basics, everything. And he put me in touch with Tony LaRusso, and one of the things that Coach LaRusso said, he said, Ron, it, it's about the chemistry again in every facet of your team. The chemistry has to be put back together. It, it, I think there's a lot of truth to it. I mean, we've kind of suffered through some things, but, I mean, the big disappointment is obviously we've lost four games that we, we could have easily won uh, by three points or less. I mean, that, that's a tough pill for me to swallow because, you know, you could easily say, well, we're a much better team. But you are what your record is, and, I, and I'm not going to make excuses for that. I mean, we are three and six. But at the end of the day, you know, it is about the chemistry. You know, we almost completely redid our secondary and, and, again, we're learning and developing that group. You know, we lose two core guys uh, on the interior of our defensive line. But, again, we've, you know, replaced them with guys that have been here before. Um, you know, the wide receiver room changes. Uh, it, there, there's so many little detailed things that you do have to uh, work and you can't account for, but you've got to work it and make sure that chemistry is right and that at the end of the day, the personality of your team is, is what you need. I think we're at the point now where we're starting to see it. You know, in the last three weeks, we've had we've had the same secondary back there. 
Um, we've had a little flux in the offensive line, but they've played pretty solid for us in the last few weeks as well. Did you make a mistake not re-signing Josh Norman? I don't know. I don't know that. I, I know that we have two young guys that are developing and growing. They're going to fit for us and going to be here for a, for a while. Um, that's exciting. It's kind of like the same thing that we had when you look inside of um, – our uh, our defensive line. We drafted um, you know Star and then KK, and and we hope to have those two guys around for a long time. So you know what we've had to do is make some tough decisions, and and you know and Dave and his guys upstairs are trying to do the best they can in terms Dave of Dave Gettleman, your GM, yes, yeah, how everything fits, and yeah. and and the, the puzzle is difficult, and and as we go through it, guys are going to start to develop and fit, and you know at the end of the day, we believe we've made a pretty good decision. So we'll find out. Finishing up with Ron Rivera. So, Ron, you know, the one other thing about your team from last year to this year, and I think it does involve the secondary, you had, I think, the number one uh, defensive quarterback rating last year. You know, quarterbacks against you had the lowest rating in the league, and this year you're way up in the 90s. Is that exclusively coverage or does it have something to do also with pressure? I think it's got a combination. Again, I believe that goes hand in hand. If you're getting pressure, you're helping your secondary. If your secondary is covering, you're helping your pressure. And we had a we had a period where it was way out of whack. Um, we were rushing, getting pressure, but we weren't really where we needed to be in terms of coverage. Uh, we had some coverage going, but we weren't getting the pressure. I think the last few weeks has been indicative of what we can be. Uh, we've just got to continue to play that way. And uh, see how it goes. And this is going to be a heck of a test this week. Uh, it's on a short week. We're preparing for you know one of the one of the elite quarterbacks in this league, uh, and, and as I said, one of the one of the really fine offensive minds in the league as well. And Coach Payton. Is there any negative whatsoever that you can think of in retrospect post Super Bowl? I mean, can you think of anything that you might have done differently? Or is it just a fact of life, a very long season and a shorter off season? Uh, exactly that. It was a very short off season. You know, I, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The one thing I wish they had, we hadn't had to do, was open up against Denver, because the one thing that happens is we had to relive, you know, five more months of answering the question. I mean, that, that's, you would have rather played Denver on a Sunday afternoon in November, without a doubt, because again. There was, you know, it lingers. I mean, you know, it, it, that was a tough pill to swallow. You lose, a, you lose a big game, obviously the Super Bowl, and you know, you, you feel like you're done, you're done with it. But then you come out and say, okay, you're going to open the season up, and for the next five more months, it's questions about, you know, what happened, why did it happen, how this happened, what are you going to do, is this revenge, and and it made, you know, for me personally, and I'm not going to speak for anybody else. I, I just wish we we could have waited till, you know, October, November to, to play that game. Ron Rivera, really appreciate you joining me on the podcast and continued success. I mean, regardless of what happens this year, I think that one of the things that people in our business admire about you and your team is that you don't hide. You take things head on. And uh, I think when you do that, your players learn from that as well. So I think you really handle your team well. I appreciate that, Peter. But uh, I think a lot of that comes back from from having had the opportunity to to play for a guy like Mike Dicker that took things on uh, head on. Ron, thanks very much. Thank you, Peter. This is the MMQB Podcast. This is Adrian Wojnarowski of The Vertical. For candid conversations with the biggest names around the NBA, be sure to check out our podcast network, which includes The Vertical Podcast with Woj, The Vertical Podcast with J.J. Redick, and The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix, all at thevertical.com, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, football fans, looking to get a new suit? Indochino is one of the largest made-to-measure menswear brands out there, and they're making it easy for men to get great-fitting, high-quality suits and shirts at an incredible price. This is how it works. Visit Indochino.com or drop by one of their nine North American showrooms. You get to pick from hundreds of fabrics and patterns. Then, choose your customizations from lapels to pleats to jacket linings and more. Then, submit your body measurements. And then, just kick back, relax, and get ready to step into the best, most stylish suit you've ever worn. It'll take just four weeks. And this week, my listeners get any premium Indochino suit for just $389 at Indochino.com when entering KING at checkout. That's right, just enter K-I-N-G at the checkout. 
That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium comfortable suit. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code KING for any premium suit. It's just $389 and free shipping. Indochino also has amazing holiday deals right now on their shirts, pants, and other products, too. You'll never have to worry about badly fitting suits or expensive trips to the tailor again. Get ready to look like a million bucks at Indochino.com. It's the MMQB Podcast. We are here in New York in Midtown Manhattan at the NFL offices, and I'm here with Brian Rollup, the NFL's Executive Vice President of Media, which entails a lot. And Brian, I'm going to ask you to explain that in a second, but the media has changed so drastically and so radically, you almost have to be an expert on everything from Twitter to television to radio to video to networks. So explain what the NFL's executive vice president of media does. <laughs> That's a good question. Well, I, I do lots of things here. My, my job really revolves around media everywhere we do it. So that, that's in a few places. Uh, the most obvious place is how we broadcast our games on television, which is still the primary way that we distribute our games. It entails all of the licensing we do on television and digital media. So if you see highlights on Twitter or if you see some of the stuff we do on Snapchat or if you watch HBO Hard Knocks, um, that all comes out of, out of my group. It also includes uh, the owned and operated media assets we have. That includes the NFL Network, it includes the Red Zone Channel, it includes NFL Films. So really all the content we make and how we license it, and it's actually from an economic model, it's the way the league makes most of our money is through our, is through our media revenue. You know, Roger Goodell once told me that every summer he would go out to Silicon Valley and spend three or four days just trying to keep current with what next was. Yeah. So... How much of your job is trying to figure out what the media is going to be like in 2018, 2019? It's most of my job. And Roger and I go on those trips all the time. We used to do it every summer. We try to get out there more than than once a year. So we spend a lot of time looking at what fans do, how they're spending their time, but also understanding not only these new media platforms, but also the structure of their businesses, the economics, how they work and really trying to prepare ourselves for how we distribute the content better for fans. Um, and it, it's complicated. I always say, when you ask the question, what media is going to look like in 2019, 2020, if anybody tells you what the future is going to look like, they're lying to you because, it's to your point, it's changing so quick. But you do spend a lot of time with these new players and how media is being distributed, and you learn quite a bit. But it's also, as I said before, Watch the fans. I mean, the, the thing about media, the consumption always goes quicker than the business. So, you know, the Internet was much bigger in a consumption standpoint before it started making money. Um, so it's really, you know, fans and, and people are pretty savvy about what they like. And if you're, if you're able to understand that, it, it gives you a pretty good viewpoint into the future. Give me an example of a trip that you might have taken with Roger Goodell and where you would have gone and something you might have learned recently. That's a good question. When we go, we visit with some obvious companies and some less obvious companies. Obvi- I say obvious based on who you think we would meet with. We do go to the, the Googles and the Twitters and the Snapchats, the people who are actually distributing content. But we also go to the Airbnbs. We go to... Um, what would you want to know at, say, Airbnb? I'm cu- you know, it, wh- Why would the NFL have any interest in Airbnb? Well, it's, it's a great question. There's a lot of things. A lot of our fans travel to go to games, and they have a viewpoint on when fans travel, whether it's the Super Bowl or away games, what they do, what their behavior is, what they're looking for. We learn from that, right? So, again, back to the theme, if you understand what fans are doing, you can serve them better. We also learn how they think about innovation, how they think about running their business, how they think about growing their business, how they think about building a culture that's beneficial, and how they think about the larger things in the world that affects us, whether it's how people spend their time, how they consume, how they use technology. And so 
I, we feel like when the more companies we can meet with and the more people we can do, we can learn a lot about the world we operate in. Um, no, no, none of these people are going to tell us, here's exactly what you should do, but we can learn from their experiences and their own businesses and their own technology that we can take back and see, well, how do we apply that to what we do? So Airbnb was very, you know, it was very interesting how they talk to the consumers, how they serve them, how they think about the future of travel, how they think about the future of lodging, all those things we, we learn quite a bit from, as yeah. an example. Interesting. Yeah. Brian Rollop of the NFL on the MMQB podcast with Peter King here at NFL headquarters. So, Brian, the story of the year, obviously, is the ratings decline. As we sit here, you know, after nine weeks, uh, I believe that the operative number is about 15 to 18%. Is that accurate? It sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. And I think a few of the things that have been surprising to people – Look, everybody knows, and I wrote about this a month or so ago, that in any election year, that's going to have a large impact on ratings. But in the previous five elections, ratings have gone down between 2 and 9% in each one of those election years from, say, 95 to 96 and, and all that. But this year, obviously being down so much, I'm tempted to say, well, there's never been an election like this one yeah, right. in our lives. And that could well be true. We'll find out in the coming weeks. But I also get a sense that there are other things going on to lead to this sort of precipitous decline. And I wonder, uh, you know, I'll run through a couple of them, but I wonder when you look at it, what do you see when you guys do your internal metrics? Yeah, well, I think um, there's a few things we see. The first is when you look at television ratings, and I think you've written about this, but they're made up of two components. The first is how many people you're reaching and then how long they are staying or how often they're watching. So in other words, your ratings are higher if you have, I'll make up a number, 10 people show up to a game. Your ratings are higher, obviously, if they stay for the whole game or if they leave early, right, versus they leave early. What we are seeing is we're reaching as many people as we've ever reached before. There's 175 million uniques about is I the think. number I, I've It heard. might be a little south of that. It might yeah. be 160, but that's – I can't right. remember. That's ballpark. So we're reaching as many people – and that's almost half the country. We're reaching as many people as we have before. They are not staying as long. And the primetime games, Sunday, Monday, and Thursday, are disproportionately impacted. So they're watching much less of the primetime games. So we see that. You, you mentioned the election. We think that plays a part. As you said, it's been down since every election. 9%, the biggest decline was the 2000 election, which is if there's any election analogous to this one, and I'm not sure there is, it's, it's probably the Gore-Bush. But that doesn't explain we – don't, we don't sit there and say, oh, it's the election and so everything is fine. We, we look at things very seriously and ask ourselves the tough questions. Well, what else is going on? The primetime games, the margin of victory hasn't been great. The games have not been great. And it doesn't take a brain surgeon to say – uh, when the game isn't close and isn't good, people aren't going to – they may show up, but they're not going to stick around. So that definitely plays a part in it. If the game isn't good, it, back to your earlier questions, it's not like 25 years ago where your choice is maybe something else on cable television. The entire world is a finger click away on your phone or wherever else, and so the alternatives you're competing with are just infinite, almost infinite. So we have a higher obligation to kind of provide quality product and think about it. Another thing we're really looking at and wondering is, are the games too long? Is there too much dead time in between plays? Are reviews taking too long? Are there the penalties taking too much out of the game? All of those come, I think, come into play that we look at and look at seriously and say, should we change that? Should we change the number of commercials in a game? Should we change how often you see a commercial? Um, really thinking about the fan and making sure that it's exciting as possible. So while we think there's a lot of things playing into the ratings, we look at everything, and quite frankly, as I've said before, there's no sacred cows. I mean, we look at it and say, if we need to make the game more exciting and change the ways we do commercials, we, we're, we're looking at that, and, we, and that's what we're doing. It seems almost sacrilegious to say we'll have fewer commercials in a game, but obviously fans would want that. I'm sure teams would want that, too. Is there a chance that you would have fewer commercials in a game? Yeah, there's a chance. We're looking very hard at it. And again, that's how, ma- how many How many spots per game right now? Oh, gosh. You're going to put 64? Uh, yeah, I think, that's, I think it's a little higher. That's about right. Okay. Yeah. 
But I mean, obviously, you eliminate spots, you eliminate some money. Potentially, but there's other ways. Look, from a business standpoint, and, and, and the fan probably cares less about this, but there's other ways to actually do promotion within a telecast, right? And our games are very clean as far as the telecast goes. But even if we didn't change the number of spots, here's what I hear a lot from fans. Extra point, commercial, kickoff, commercial. Drives them crazy. And I kind of get it. So what if we didn't do that? What if what if commercials aren't two minutes long and they're 15 seconds or 30 seconds? Okay, maybe it's less intrusive. Maybe you can tolerate that. you got to remember, as technology changes, we're getting used to Netflix, which has no commercials. And when we go on YouTube, there's 15 seconds that sometimes you can skip. And so, you know, our attention spans are changing, and so maybe we should change with it. I, I think the monetization of the games and how we make money is obviously important to everybody involved in the game of football, but... Those things don't happen if the game's not exciting and fans don't want to watch. So that becomes priority number one. Make the game exciting. Make sure people want to watch. The rest of it, the business part, will take care of itself. That's really how we think about it. How much would you say, you know, when I am home on some Sundays and I'm watching games, if there's a great game on, I'm going to watch that game. But if there's not one great game, I'm putting it on the Red Zone channel. Yeah. And I'm watching the Red Zone. And when I ask people on Twitter, hey, give me your theories about why it's down, I have a lot of people who say, I just watch Red Zone. Yeah. So what does that have to do with the ratings? So I'll ask you, what does the popularity of Red Zone have to do with the overall ratings? You know, I hear that a lot, too. And in, in the Red Zone is a great product. Just let's look at data. One thing to understand about the Red Zone it's a subscription product that you pay for, and it's probably in um, less than 70% of the households in this country. Okay, It's not in 100% of the households like the rest of television is, or, or at least available to those households. And then of those 70%, they, people have to pay extra. Not everybody wants to do that. The viewership of the Red Zone on a Sunday is probably a little bit over a million people on any given Sunday. Now, you compare that to the other games going on at 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock, that's about 11 million or 12 million. So you have less than 10% of the viewers watching Red Zone. So while the people who watch Red Zone love it, especially if their team's not playing, it still represents a small portion of the NFL fan base, number one. Number two, what I would say is there might be some people who only watch that, but I think more people, and what we've seen is people will watch the games in their market, certainly their local game, and then if there's not a game that they're interested in watching, then they'll watch the Red Zone. And we look at that as incremental because if it's a game in their market after their home team plays that they don't want to watch, they're not going to watch it. And they might go play golf. They might go watch something else. If we can keep them engaged in NFL football and give them something that they will watch, we think that's a very good thing. And so I think this year, aside with the ratings things we've talked about, we've always seen it incremental and as ratings have kind of creeped up, the red zone's grown a little bit, but the ratings, the consumption has been incremental by definition. And we still think that's the case. But, but I understand why people think that because it's a wonderful product. And maybe going forward, we'll, we'll look at doing things differently. But right now, we think it's incremental to, to what, what's out there. So one of the other things that when I look at what's happening with the television ratings, I look at a day of games and traditionally, it's always been, I live in the East, 1, 4.30, 8.30, and that's it. Yeah. So increasingly now, you know, you've had three 9.30 a.m. games, including one that probably made everybody just <laughs> pretty unhappy, the Giants and the Rams, yeah. you know, at 9.30 in the morning, 6.30 in, on the West Coast. I happened to be on the West Coast that day. And, I mean, when I got up, I said, oh, my God, there's a football game on at 6.30 in the morning. Yeah. But anyway, be that as it may, you know, the Cincinnati-Washington game a few weeks ago comes on at 9.30. Yeah. And I just said, man, I can't watch football for the next 14 hours, yeah. even though it's my job. I can't do that. So are you watering down the product? Are you giving me too much vanilla ice cream? I like to have three scoops sometimes, but I don't want a half gallon. So what about the fact that for years, the fact that it was really special, yeah. you know, and now there's so much NFL on, the, and you, it's impossible to make all the games. You're going to have 
a Tennessee Jacksonville. You're just going to have to do that if you're going to have all of these national games. I think it's the right question. The NFL has benefited from the scarcity value that you're pointing to, that less is, is, is more, sometimes more. And we balance that with fans asking for more. And so we also balance that with we don't want to be a league where most fans only care about a handful of teams. So getting exposure to teams on a national basis or at least a larger percentage of the country is pretty important and we think can become pretty popular. we got to balance that with sometimes they're not playing well and the game's not good, and that's the balance. And so we're asking all those questions, and I think all of those are fair questions. And when is too much of a good thing? Do you, and I think it's a fair question. And so I think every year we'll, we evaluate that and rethink it. We've been talking about that on the Sunday morning game. Should we keep them or not? I think it's very much an open question, and keep looking at it. Is the Thursday night game doomed to failure because you just simply cannot put enough good games on with the Sunday night package and the Monday night package? I don't think it's doomed to failure. I think it is the challenge of this of this balance we're talking about, which is how do you build out Thursdays at football night? How do you do it with quality teams? How do you get teams more exposure? I don't think it's doomed to failure. If you look at Thursday night, and it's been built over the last 10 years. Up and through last season, it went from uh, small ratings to being the number three show on television. The margin of victory of those games have been, over those 10 years, pretty close to what they are on Sunday. So they've been competitive. What people are really saying is, well, the Cleveland Browns aren't the Dallas Cowboys. Well, that's right. But if we only put the Dallas Cowboys on television in prime time, we would never build the Cleveland Browns. And so that's always a balance we're trying to we're trying Plus, to isn't it, for people who don't know this, you basically have a rule that every team in the NFL is going to appear in at least one primetime telecast during the year. We do. Yeah. We do. And, and that goes back to we want 32 national teams. We want 32 teams that people can care about if they'd like. And we don't like the idea of just having four teams that matter. That's not good for the league. That's not good for fans. And so getting them the exposure. Um, it's why we put flexible scheduling, one of the reasons in Sunday Night Football all those years ago, where there are a lot of teams that could play their way into that Sunday night because they had a good season. And so those last few weeks of the season, we could flex them in on a Sunday afternoon. Now, you obviously can't do that on Thursday because the obvious reasons you can't move a game from Sunday to Thursday in a moment's notice. But that's always the balance we strike. So we've actually been very happy with the growth of Thursday night football. And if you look at the numbers, it's grown significantly. Just sometimes when you get teams that aren't as performing as well, it's a, it's, it's a little tougher. You're listening to the MMQB Podcast. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for the games you want to see up close and in person this season. You know, there's nothing like being in the stadium for the biggest plays of the year, and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the guaranteed seats you want for a great value. With SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary depending on where you shop, but SeatGeek will always find you the lowest available price. Now, pay attention to this next part. It's vital. My listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. 20 bucks, right in your pocket. And to get it, all you have to do is this. Download the free SeatGeek app and go to the Settings tab and click Add a Promo Code. Then... Enter promo code MMQB. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It doesn't get any easier, folks. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code MMQB today. With Brian Rolop, the Executive Vice President of Media for the National Football League, here on the MMQB Podcast with Peter King. So, Brian, you know, a couple of other things. Do you think that... The NFL's sort of insatiable desire to grow. Everybody wants growth. But is the insatiable desire to grow, might it be impossible? You know, might you be as big as you're going to get? You know, I know that nobody ever likes to say, okay, this is it. But the NFL is so huge that I wonder if people at some point, you know, I wonder, I mean, we have a, a website, the MMQB, we're 
12 months a year. We started three and a half years ago because people couldn't get enough football. Maybe people are getting enough football. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, how do you view that aspect of it? And maybe people just have seen enough football. Well, I mean, I think it's what we call around here the tyranny of big numbers, right? Whether it's however you want to measure it, how many people are watching, how many fans there are, how much money, whatever the number. It, they're big numbers, and how do you grow those? It's harder to grow a bigger number than it is a smaller number. But I don't think the league is out of growth. You have 180 million people in this country who call themselves football fans. There's more people who live in the United States. That's not everybody. Demographics are changing significantly. And so how do you actually capture the new generation? Millennials are the biggest population in this country, and they're bigger than the baby boomers. And they're different, and they're growing. And so we have to think about how we serve them as well as we serve you and me who aren't baby boomers. And we think there's growth there. There's a growing Hispanic population in this country who think about, might think about things differently. How do you serve them? So we think there's actually growth left in this, in this country, but it's also why you see us spend so much time internationally, where we think this is a sport that could actually grow internationally. And in our, our efforts in the UK, you can see that. Peter, it's not just about getting more people who like NFL. It's also about figuring out how to serve the big fans we have better. You know, that's another form of growth is, and I think you've seen that in people's attention and what they do in digital, how people are watching the NFL network, how people are watching ESPN in the off season. I don't think you've been in this business longer than me, but I don't think uh, you would have thought 25 years ago, the draft would be as big as it is. That's partly because we have more fans than we did 20 years ago, but it's really the fans we have are spending more time with the NFL and having that ability to experience it outside of just the regular season. Brian, do you believe that Thursday night football is here to stay, or is Thursday night football, I don't want to say on the chopping block, but is it possible that it could go away? I think it's here to stay in some shape or form. I mean, we've we've changed it over the years. We started in 2006 with eight games. We expanded it to, I think, 12 or 13 um, a few years later, and now we're, we're bigger. But we started on the NFL Network. Now it's on two broadcast networks the NFL Network, and Twitter. So I think we will play games on Thursday. How many, how they will be distributed, and where you'll be able to see them on television versus digital, I don't know. We'll, we'll figure that out. I mean, we're changing that a lot. But I think Thursday's here for the foreseeable future. But to your point, there's no sacred cows. If it's not performing the way it needs to, and if fans aren't really watching as much, then we'll, we'll make changes. That's got to be the tough balancing act. People love your game. And even though the ratings are down, there's still ratings that any other sport would kill for. And yet, you always have to make sure that you are straddling the line and looking to see if, for instance, you're oversaturating your market. And you have to make sure that the quality of all of your packages is good. That's right. So that is a really difficult thing. I know because I've sat in on the... uh, a couple of times with uh, Howard Katz as they get do their schedule every spring. And I'll tell you, that is really tough because on the one hand, you want to put the Patriots or the Cowboys in prime time on 12 times, but you've got Fox, you've got CBS, you've, you know, you've got to take care of all of your partners, which makes it really hard. Yeah, it is. It's a balancing act. And Howard is as good as anybody at, at making a schedule. He really is a pro. And but I'd much rather have people learn to be fans of the Atlanta Falcons, who is a wonderful football team. And, you know, we know the Cowboys will always do well on television. We, all, we know the Pittsburgh Steelers will always do well on television. We know the Chicago Bears will do well on television regardless of their record. But we're really interested in not only making those teams strong but making those other teams relevant. So it's really about even if we know maybe it'd be easy to put the top teams and all those top television windows – we want the rest of America to see these great football teams and these great stories that are going on. And ultimately, that's healthier for us. It's healthy for the leagues. It's healthy for the players. It's healthier for everybody involved in this. And so that's why we obsess about it. And that's why we, that's a big part of our media strategy. I thought one of the really interesting decisions that Howard Katz and his team made this year was putting the Oakland Raiders on Thursday night in December. Mm-hmm. Because. Even though there was a lot of optimism about the Raiders, you don't know. 
You they know. could be sitting there three and ten or whatever, whatever it is, and going to Kansas City and having everybody say, "I'm not watching that game." That's right. And yet that one is probably really going to pay off. Yeah, you know that could be for the division title. So it's a difficult thing. I mean, sometimes you're going to hit the lottery, and sometimes you're going to bust. Yeah, How, yeah. Howard is either a genius or an idiot, depending on the week, <laughs> yeah. right? And that, that poor guy, you know, his scorecard is every week. And, but but he, he, is, he is very good at what he does. And, and ultimately, you, you, look, you said it, it. It comes down to the performance on the field, right? It comes down to the quality of the football and the quality of, of the games. And there's no substitute for that. And so the structural advantages we have in our sport around a salary cap and around – the other things that keep big market and small markets revenue sharing that keeps big markets and small markets competitive that's really really important because these teams can run for the super bowl regardless of market size and that's really important and so some teams will surprise you and they deserve to be on primetime television they deserve to be shown to the rest of the country one other question just from watching a lot of games you know from start to finish and not only you know, red zone snippets, but then going back later in the week to watch full games. Are you showing the national anthem before every game now? Because I don't remember that being that way in the past, but I seem to see the national anthem in almost every game I watch. Well, I think, I don't know the entire history on this. I think you're probably seeing the national anthem for most games in the last few weeks because it's our salute to service where we take a few weeks out of the NFL season and thank our armed services for all they do. Um, and that's why you see the coaches and the, and the camouflage right. things on the sidelines all that. And so as part of that, I think we're showing most of the anthems, if not all of them. I don't think historically, and, and I can check on this, that we've shown all of the anthems. Um, and sometimes the, the broadcaster decides to do that. I think ESPN shows it every Monday. I'm not sure. It's kind of a broadcaster decision. But, but when we do salute to service, it's important for us to show that as many times as possible because of what we're the, the tribute we're trying to play towards the, the armed services here. With the ratings decline, how have your relationships been with all of your broadcast partners? Have you had any strains? Has it been difficult on any of them? What's it like dealing with them when you're trying to explain what's going on? No, they're great partners. I mean, no, they should speak for themselves, but they've only been positive. Look, it's one thing to put the ratings in perspective, and you and I may have talked about this, but if you look over the last 10 years, NFL ratings has grown probably 25% or so, the viewership. Overall. Overall. Yeah. And primetime television uh, is down 30% or so over that same time period. So NFL football has grown, and the gap of NFL football versus other programming on television widens. And so I only bring that up to say our partners have done a great job showing the sport, but it's also pretty valuable to them. And so They've seen this before. That growth has never been in a straight line. It's It's been up and down and up and down, but it's sort of grown over the years. And so th- we've all seen this before. Having said that, our partners are great because we talk about it and we, we, we ask ourselves the questions, all right, how do we improve? What can we do different? And we do that not only in years where ratings are down, but we do that in years where ratings are up. Do you have a gut feeling where you end up at the end of the year? Uh, as far as ratings? Yeah. My gut feeling is we will not be up. I think... We could be flat to down. It all depends on a lot of things. It depends. This election has a tail on it. It depends on how the, the games are and if they're going to do well. But I, I'm not expecting we're going to be up. As I said before, we, you know, in those election years, we never have been. So I don't see anything that's going to tell us that we're going to be up wildly. Finishing up with Brian Rollup of the NFL. Brian, you know, I always wonder what the NFL is going to look like on TV in 10 years. I mean, I never thought that I would be able to get in a car, and this happened during one of your Twitter games this year, where I was a passenger in a car, and I was in the back seat, and I watched about two quarters of a football game on my phone, and it was absolutely pristine. Hardly any interruption, you know, hardly any fuzz. So I could never, ever have imagined that 10 years ago. Yeah. So 10 years from now, what is the NFL going to look like on television? Well, it's a good question. I don't, my crystal ball isn't better than anybody else's, but I think you will see it on television. I don't think television is going away. A lot of people are trying to predict the death of television. And um, I think television is going 
to be a central part of how we consume sports and how we consume a lot of media in the next 10 years. It might be different, but it's still, still going to be here. I think you will be able to get these games on any device you want, and you will increasingly watch it on those mobile devices because you're going to be increasingly comfortable with them. Um, so if you have a television, you'll be able to see it. If you don't have a television, you'll be able to see them as well. It'll be very convenient for the fan. I think some things in the media industry need to be worked out from a business and an economic structure, but that will work itself out. I think our broadcast partners will look different as companies. They're all evolving to this different world. You've already seen some changes where, you know, DirecTV is owned by ATT and they're talking about CBS and Viacom getting together. So these companies are going to restructure themselves for this new world. And so it'll be very interesting to see who our partners are and what they look like. I think it'll be different in 10 years because our current partners will just be different. And I think there'll be new partners that you see. I think you and I would have probably five years ago, if I said, you know, we're going to distribute a game on Twitter, you probably wouldn't want to burn me for witchcraft. I, I just thought, I, I mean, it's insane. It's <laughs> insane how fast it's moving. But what, what I will say is I think our focus on making sure the games are compelling in quality and making sure that we can reach as many fans as possible will be at the center of whatever we do. Finishing up with Brian Rolop. So, Brian, the one thing that I've thought uh, is kind of interesting about you as a person you grew up on the East Coast, but you went to Brigham Young. I did. And you're, you're a huge Brigham Young guy. Your family is Brigham Young. Maybe not quite to the level of the Steve Young clan with, you know, with roots that date back to Brigham Young. But how did a Brigham Young boy get involved in the NFL and rise to the level that you have? It's funny. I mean, it's, not, it's nothing I planned. Um, you know, I, I came to the NFL – when the NFL decided to start a television network, and I was uh, had uh, working at NBC at the time, and I had always had a career in the media world, but that's that's how I ended up. But I, I never mapped out a career that sort of led to the NFL. It just sort of sort of kind of happened in one of those things. But um, but yeah, I, I'm a, a longtime BYU guy, as you said. My my parents met there. Um, my aunts and uncles went there. I have siblings who went there. You know, it's in my blood. I you know grew up watching. BYU football when I was a kid they kind of came on the national scene and you know I watched Steve Young and Jim McMahon and all those guys do things in in the 80s and where they were throwing the ball 50 times a game when everybody but, was running the wishbone how were you able to watch the games you grew up in Washington yeah so how could you follow Brigham Young because there was no they weren't on every week just you know like they are now no they weren't um you know they were they started to be on ESPN I think in the 80s when ESPN was really putting more and more college football and but I lived in a house for whatever reason in my community I was in suburban Washington DC didn't have cable um, and so my father was just a, a huge BYU fan, and um, he would drag me along uh, to go find a hotel that had ESPN. So we'd check into the Red Roof Inn in Rockville, Maryland, or wherever we were, <laughs> and we'd, we'd watch football for three hours, and then we'd go home. Or He also, you know, the, some of the radio, terrestrial radio stations were carrying the games for whatever reason, and my dad found a hill in suburban Maryland somewhere that somehow could get this radio station. So if it wasn't on cable, we'd drive the car up, and we'd, you know, he'd somehow zoned in, and he'd listen to the game. And, you know, it, w- it was an exciting thing for him because, you know, people who went to BYU or people of my faith weren't big impacts on the sports world. And here BYU came along and started winning in football, you know, throwing the ball all over the place. And it was sort of a source of pride for my father. And it was um, something he loved sharing with his son. So um, so that's how I was introduced to BYU and football and ended up going there to college. And you are Mormon. I am, yes. Yeah. So the only other person I really know who's at sort of a high level in the NFL has been Steve Young. Yeah, yeah. So as a kid, if you're a Mormon kid and you like football, do you sort of idolize Steve Young? Oh, yeah. Steve was a big deal. You know, he was a big deal in college. And, um, you know, I remember my father opening up the Washington Post and was happy when there's a box score. Or I remember the Heisman voting where he got close and that was a big deal. And you know, when he signed that big contract with the LA Express. I think I think a lot of people looked up to Steve Young because of the success he had uh, in football, but also, and I've gotten to know him since, um, he was just a good person. He was a good, you know, representative of, of our faith, and I think that was a source of pride for us. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there are many BYU guys in, in the league, but the few there are, are, are I think, pretty good people. 
Brian Rollup, I really appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you joining me on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. Well, thanks for having me. You're listening to the MMQB podcast. So it was obvious to all of us, obvious to fans, to sports writers, to people on TV, people in radio, innocent bystanders, that Tony Romo did not have the starting quarterback job of the Dallas Cowboys anymore. Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, said it on Sunday in Pittsburgh. And look, let's face it, in a short span, when you have a rookie quarterback who has beaten Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay and Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh, it's over. Dak Prescott had won eight consecutive games for the Dallas Cowboys the longest winning streak that the Cowboys have had in over 40 years. And in essence, there just wasn't a spot for Tony Romo in the starting lineup anymore. So the thought occurred to me as the Cowboys left the field in Pittsburgh on Sunday that this is going to be exceedingly hard for Tony Romo to accept. And this week, when Tony Romo stepped to a podium in Texas, and he basically, as I said at the top, abdicated his throne. It was such a stunning thing, but it also was such an incredibly classy thing. Did you see it? Did you see how Romo handled this? I thought it was absolutely, positively phenomenal. And the reason that I thought it was phenomenal is that Romo did not make any excuses at all. All he said was, in essence, that, look, I'm a realistic guy, and there's absolutely no way that when a team has an eight-game winning streak and the quarterback is playing well and is turning it over at a pace of once every two games, he has to keep the job. But for a quarterback, a starting quarterback, the franchise centerpiece, to say that, I just thought was phenomenal and really good and very, very team-oriented. It's what we want in our team leaders. So imagine what it was like for Tony Romo to step up to this podium and to say, Dak Prescott and what he's done, he's earned the right to be our quarterback. As hard as that is for me to say, he's earned it. He's guided our team to an 8-1 and record, and that's hard to do. End quote. And I think what was so admirable about Tony Romo to do is that he could very easily have stayed in the shadows. He could very easily have said, hey, listen, I'm not playing right now, so I'm not talking to the press. You know, as he has done for about the last month. I'm not, guys, I'm not playing, so I'm not talking. He could have done that. But with all the stuff that has been swirling around Romo and swirling around this team, Tony Romo took the ultimate high road. The guy who was the most important player for this franchise 10 weeks ago now said, guys, I'll carry a clipboard for as long as it helps the team. And I'm sure that deep down inside, Tony Romo is angry. He's volcanic. He's venomous. He's upset. This was his chance. How many opportunities in life do you get to play with a top five tight end, a top five wide receiver, and a top one offensive line? Dallas was stacked on offense. Tony Romo knew that he had one year, maybe two left, and he was going to take advantage of this opportunity of opportunities. And then, against Seattle, the dream died. But as happens so many times in life, what you are made of is shown in times of adversity. And look, this is the corniest thing that you've ever heard me say. But honestly, would you have known what kind of guy Tony Romo was before he spoke for five minutes before the assembled press in Texas on Tuesday? You would have had a positive impression of him probably, but would you have known he had that in him? I just thought it was one of the most impressive things an injured, sore, hurt, mentally and physically player has ever said. 
So my hat's off to Tony Romo. And I just think that he did the classiest thing that an NFL player could do. Thanks to my guest, Brian Rolop of the NFL and Carolina Panthers head coach, Ron Rivera. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Ben Roethlisberger, Joe Buck, and John Elway. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Listen to other podcasts in our series as well, with Albert Breer, Gary Grambling, and Andy Benoit of the MMQB. Thanks to the folks at Digital Media for their production work, and thanks, of course, to my sponsors, Indochino, SeatGeek, Mac Weldon, and Stamps.com. Please support them the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.